0: Did you know that Bitcoin uses as much energy as some entire countries? Bitcoin has a massive network of miners called ASICs that require a lot of energy to mine and secure the Bitcoin network. So for Bitcoin to be successful, it's critical to have access to cheap and reliable energy. That's why miners are moving in flocks to Texas and running their mining operations off of natural gas wells, wind turbines, solar farms, and on-grid applications. But up to now, there hasn't been a place for Bitcoin miners and energy producers to connect with each other. That's why Digital Wildcatters is bringing everyone to the energy capital of the world, Houston, Texas, for two days of networking and learning at the your mining event Empower. Maybe you're an experienced miner or energy producer that's looking for partnerships, or maybe you're new to the space and you wanna learn and get your foot in the door. There's gonna be content and opportunities for people from all different backgrounds. March 30th to 31st, Houston, Texas, Empower. Get more information at digitalwallcatters.com. Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your host and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein.
1: Finally, Tim, I don't think we've recorded one of these in three or four weeks. Was it Chase? It
0: could could be a couple weeks. Well, recorded. Now, we've we've had some in the bank, so anyone who's listening, of course, doesn't recognize a change, but... We took a little bit of a break.
1: Nape Nape was a planned break. I wasn't going to be available. Neither were you. And then I came down with strep throat right after having COVID. So I canceled these guys and pushed them out. So we're finally getting caught up. But this particular episode, I'm excited about. I just met Fred for the first time a couple weeks ago, right before Nape. Super gregarious, fun guy, great story, as Trent had told me. And then we have Trent, quite possibly the number one fan of the podcast.
0: He, he might be, he might he might be the number one fan, but I, there's a couple others I think that could could potentially uh, compete, not so vocal ones anyway.
1: Indeed, indeed, usually very um, attractive women is typically what um, you know our biggest fans are. But.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's not been my experience. Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is, on another first, this is the first time we've recorded in your kitchen.
1: Uh, I was just going to, I didn't know what you were going to say, but on another first, this is certainly our first time recording with a hundred dollar oil. Well, that's, that's true. true. And, and it's so. almost our hundredth episode. So just well, considering we, when we started
0: it, when it was negative 30. Right.
1: Literally. <laughs> that was like our first
2: podcast. <laughs> yeah,
0: That's when that's when Fred started buying wells.
2: <laughs> that's exactly it. That's when I'd say, man, we got to, we got to get back into the game because everybody's giving away the wells. and." if you were lucky enough to get a deal done during that time you are probably uh feeling good um so it well, was heck, I was
0: I was just looking for a pool an empty pool somewhere where I could
2: store oil waiting for the price to go back up you know i i was calling everybody like hey man i got some extra tanks you want to do this but um you just it's just one of those deals you got to be ready for the opportunity if you're not ready then you're not going to be able to capitalize and i think that's what That just goes to show you that the market goes up and down, and if you got a plan for the for the up cycle or the down cycle, then you're more likely to survive. And a lot of people obviously didn't because, shit, we were what not investing in oil and gas since 2014 or 15, since the last cycle, and I think that's got has a big direct effect on where we're at with prices right now. Obviously, not counting all the rest of the drama going on in the world
3: yeah that's that's what drew me to Fred is you know when we so we've known each other for like fifteen plus years. he was probably my first demo I ever did at drilling info because <laughs> he he was oh, no part kidding of, yeah he was part of so when I started at d i um there was this club of oil and gas, you know the coveted oil and gas job in Austin so it was like Brigham and you know, he had Brigham yep. there yeah Jones. Jones there. Jones Energy, and then you had Fred's company, Texas American Resources, and you know whoever was the new sales guy, you always got put on those Austin accounts first to kind of cut your teeth. And so I think Fred- I didn't even know
2: that there was I didn't even know there was oil and gas companies in Austin at the time that I was there. I thought we were the only ones. And so when when we met up at Nape last year, and he told me what he's been doing the past you
3: know fourteen years since he's been out on his own, he was like, "Yeah, I bought all." Of I'm I'm buying compressors on the dip. I'm buying wireline trucks on the dip. He's showing me pictures of all this equipment he has because he says, (laughs) when it comes back, I'm the only one that's going to have this shit ready to go. (laughs) I like this guy.
0: (laughs) I like that guy too, man. We kind of jumped into the conversation, but let's uh, do a quick intro here. But So, uh, Trent, I'm going to start with you just because – you know, we know each other from well, not as far back as you and Fred, apparently. But uh Trent's a uh, alumnus of Energy Navigator and Drilling Info, which seems like anyone who's ever worked for Drilling Info is allowed to be on our show, I think, now,
1: Jeremy. But, <laughs> three um, in a row. This is three in a row. Matt's dropped Oklahoma.
0: today. Oh, there yeah. you go. So uh so Trent uh you know, worked at Energy Navigator with me for I guess a couple of years and then dropped the hammer and said he was gonna move to Oklahoma on a whim and go to some small startup, which kind of pissed me off. But anyway, it's all we could do i get i get a sales guy trained up like jeremy and then he leaves and then i get Trent all trained up and he takes off so tim
1: i I mean at some point we have to you know we have to flew the coop or whatever you call it right i mean (laughs) got to expand our wings you raised us you coddled us you made sure we were safe and and we're we're well fed and and nourished but then you know we had to go out and take some risk and and fall on our face i'm
0: a little concerned that you use the word coddled
1: I, you know, I gave I, myself the visual as I did that. Me sort of just curling up oh, into you.
3: I did you a favor, Tim. Okay. <laughs>
1: All right. But T- Tim, I think I left in, in uh, uh, March, April, twenty thirteen. Trent, when did you go to Energy Navigator? You were kind it's, of my replacement, right? Yeah. Soon after. Yeah. That was
0: three or four months.
1: That
2: yeah, was the spot. I was both? I was
0: hiring Trent for was to replace the the uh, horsepower.
2: So was it a was it a step up or a step down? This is a big question.
1: Marsha told me it was a step up.
0: I'm not going anywhere near that because everybody's listening.
1: Um, you know, I guess Ryan. You know, Ryan Mormon and and Trent had a really good sort of ham and egg okay. thing going on. I think. They loved Trent over there, right? Tim, you, and, and even further up the ranks in Canada. I think he was a breath of fresh air. We had we had this real interesting,
0: weird thing that went on on Friday afternoons. And it wasn't intentional, but we would gather in Trent. The smallest office we had was Trent's. And for whatever reason, we would just gather in there on Friday afternoons and just have really stupid conversations about what to name beers, uh, you know, all kinds of... That's the one I remember. We had some great names for uh, you know, a, a, I forget something stout, you know, out you know like for a West Texas a, thing. A, uh, a condensate
3: was one of them. It, it's the German yeah, word condensate. Right. This is another yeah. startup right. that we got to do. Uh, uh, so, uh, I,
0: I, I I've I've uh, I've gone through a whole oil and gas themed uh, uh, beer company several times but anyway thing is is we gather in there and ryan was part of it that's kind of the ham and egg thing is it was just kind of a fun weird culture that we had we've had trevor ryan trent and i just sitting there yucking it up on a friday afternoon just think, getting ready to close out
3: tim started to realize that morale was way up but productivity was way down <laughs> <I love
1: that. laughs> I gotta I gotta throw Tim some roses here. I don't know if we do this enough. I was texting with Ryan Mormon the other day. Ryan Mormon's a W now, he's a developer, really smart guy. And Tim, I think we both kind of came to the conclusion that that I think you're the best boss both of us have ever had. And I don't think I fully realized it at the time, but you always sort of saw us and and see people as people first and are willing to actually be sympathetic, which is a an empathetic, which is a trait that a lot of managers really lack. Um, so just, just, I think as, as time goes on and you, my career has evolved and I've worked for more and more assholes, including the one I work for now, um, I really do have a great appreciation, Tim, for, um, certainly at that time in my life, being a new dad and you also being there, uh, supportive from a professional standpoint, but also personally and Trent, if you want to weigh in on that too. Uh, a
3: hundred percent. Yeah, Tim. You're fantastic. Like I remember, we'd we'd be on the on the way to demos in Tim's truck, and he would be. He Tim knows everybody. I, I think everybody knows that. Tim Tim has a super wide network. Knows everybody. Um, very similar to Fred, actually. <laughs> actually, but we'd be on 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 the way to a demo in his truck. Well,
2: not everybody likes X- me, though. That's the that's the difference. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and you know, X Y Z Fortune Five Hundred you know, big independent oil and gas company and Tim would be like, all right, here's who you're meeting with, Bob, Carol, whatever. And they're going to rip you a new one. Don't worry about it. That's what they do. I'm going to be there. If you fuck up on the engineering speak, I'll be there to <laughs> to pick up those balls. But, you know, they are going to rip you a new one. And so he always gave you a good, you know, indication, indication of, you know, the personalities you're about to encounter, but it's okay. Thank
0: you, Tim. Well, I I appreciate all that, that, you know, I will tell you that it does get you into trouble being empathetic uh, at times because, you know, people have a certain expectation. Well, I'll just go ask him for a, you know, a new gold card or platinum, whatever. And, you know, eh, when I have to pull the hammer down, it, it get, it changes things a little bit, but anyway, all right, enough on that. Let's uh, uh, we can, what about Fred, Freddy? Why don't you give Freddy us your, your intro?
2: Freddie Solis. Sure. Yes, sir. So um uh also I uh, went to AM Petroleum Engineer, class of 2000, And uh <laughs> that's right. Do you have uh, like a hand thing I that actually, you know like uh, with
1: when it's uh m when it's an awesome it just thumbs up, gigum?
2: That's gotcha. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so right. petroleum engineer 2000 uh, C student. So barely got through. uh It was actually at that time I start I kind of a weird, kind of not weird but kind of interesting story. I started off as a computer science major, so I thought I was going to be a programmer. And you know, first couple of classes, I'm like, man, I'm not. This is the being behind the computer is not for me. This is not what I want to do the rest of my life. And so I was like. I went to the career center. I'm like, oh, I want to do. And like, what's the highest paying job that that was out there? And it was petroleum engineering. I'm like, boom, that's what, that's where I'm <laughs> at. going to do there that. Go. <laughs> I'm going to do that. And so, but it turns out, I mean, I do, uh, I am third generation. My grandfather was a driller. My dad was a driller. And so now I got into the business, but he was always like, if you get into it, you want to be the engineer because those guys are the ones that sit in the AC while we're doing all the work. So I'm like, ah, I, that I can do. So I mean, it's kind of one of those things that I didn't I didn't expect to go into it. They weren't. I mean, they were just like working out in the crew. So I was very familiar with oil and gas from the very beginning, and it was just kind of one of those things that just felt natural to me because you could combine both of the skills of actually being in the in the at the, the desk and also going out to the field. So it was kind of a perfect match for for you know having that flexibility and I. I've been enjoying it ever since. Uh, started the, my career off in New Orleans, which is another cool connection that I've got with Trent. We both started uh, our careers out in New Orleans and, I mean, two blocks away from uh, from Bourbon Street. I don't have to tell you that that was awesome. That's dangerous. And, That's dangerous. And <laughs> you made it, it out. And it was. Well, just to tell you, I got all my DWIs before, this is time before Uber, <laughs> All in New Orleans and, and in Louisiana in, in my time in Shreveport, so that was that was pretty pretty cool. So I started off with uh, Murphy EMP out of uh, Mur- Murphy Oil, uh, working offshore Gulf of Mexico, doing workovers, uh, doing management, uh, managed a couple of platforms. So it was it was pretty cool that I could go back and forth uh, and to the office and out to the field. So I was very familiar with the day to day hands operations from from very the the very beginning of my of my career and even prior to that as an intern for texco i worked offshore uh as a roustabout. so it was a kind of a cool uh, uh training that the program that they had and you learned a lot just by being out there and it's something that i think that uh you know more people should do or have the opportunity to to mix that in so right after that i uh you know i was o- i was only there for two years because i mean this is 2000 2001. I don't know if you guys remember the oil prices, but it was kind of, it was kind of shaky there. Yep. And so there was not a lot of stuff happening, and I got bored. So I ended up transferring to Houston, and I did actually I did sales for Night Oil Tools, which is at that time they had bought a PNA company uh, as Night Well Services. So then I went out renting equipment, rig to rig down in the the whole Victoria. South Texas area and that was no fun, so I had to try to get back into the to the engineering side and I ended up I ended up landing in uh, at the time it was called St Mary, which is now SM Energy in Shreveport, sure. and that's when I did a lot of A and D work as a reservoir engineer because they were one of the largest landowners in all of the country, especially in 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 the U S. So they had a lot of minerals and they had a like large land position. So I would literally get, you know, a couple hundred AFEs for non-operated stuff come through my desk. And that's how I learned how to do what we're currently doing now, which is managing wells, acquisitions, and divestitures. And that's when I'm like, okay, here's where the real cheese is. This is this is where you want to be at. You want to, you know, try to own and operate your own wells. That kind of started, that was kind of started the plan of trying to, you know, being on the operation side. Um Two years later, I ended up in Austin, where I met Trent uh, as a reservoir engineer for Texas American Resources and only lasted, uh, I think that one was only a year because oil started going up. Like I think it was like, got to over 100. I'm like, man, I, I need to go out and buy my own wells. I got to figure this hmm. out. And so I cashed out my IRA. I think it was like 105, 106,000, and I spent it on, uh, on an orphan well back in Mm. 2008 and, um, lost my money right away because (laughs) the, (laughs) yeah, it's, it was, it was, it was, it kind of sucked, but I thought, you know, oil's at a hundred, all I got to do is get me a hundred or 200 MCF a day well, or 10 barrel a day well, and then I'll be banking and I'll replace my income and it's set, you know, I'm, I'm super smart. I've been doing this for a big company, but ended up like that same month oil started crashing. And, I, and I, I mean, it was, it was, it was trouble. And so I had to start all over again, trying to buy and, and manage wells with, uh, luckily I got lucky with a buddy of mine out of Denver. He, uh, had, had uh, just quit his job, but he actually had a backing from from a, uh, private pilot. And so he gave him a million dollars to go out and start buying a stripper stripper type wells. Mm-hmm. So we were able to pick a bunch of them up because within a year, Prices were so bad that you were able to get wells for free or for PA liability. And he had to work over an operations background, I had to work over an operations background and uh, the reserve. So we were able to pick up a bunch of wells and long to to kind of uh, push that story forward, we were able to pick up between 2010 all the way to 2016. Just with the five man uh five man shop or office, we we got up to over a thousand barrels a day nice. uh of uh vertical production, long life low decline assets, and it was it was pretty pretty good. Fred, so, tell them about yeah. your model and then uh, what the radius. The what?
3: Tell them about your strategy. The what? The radio? Clothes. No, no, no. Your strategy about buying Oh, buys, yeah. buying
2: those. Buy low so high or what? No,
3: you would buy them within a certain mileage radius around your house.
2: Well, that was the goal. The goal was for me to be home and then try to buy all the orphan wells that were within two hour uh, drive time from my house, right? Or at least try to at least try to get them. And I mean, it's easier said than done, as we all know. But you you can fly. You can uh, find a lot of gems out there because I mean, you don't have to go. I mean, you guys have been in the patch for a while. There's always a lot of guys out there you know pumpers or compressor mechanics that that tell them hey you want these wells for liability and yeah. you know they end up you know popping a zone or two and you know you get a couple hundred mcf a day uh, and you start i mean it, it adds up pretty quickly so that was always my goal to try to, to figure that out and fast forward to 2020 i saw all the you know the non-investments in the oil and gas you know, a lot of companies that that were going under. And I was like, man, I think this is the time to get back into it. And so I started off with one well in 2020, uh, managed to pick up a little Eagleford 50% working interest. That turned out to be, I mean, that turned out to be awesome because all we had to do was uh, fix hole in the tubing for this well. And I got it, I got it going up to, you know, 20, 30 barrels a day. And then kind of started seeing the price go up that's actually when when you guys said it was a negative 30 up in in north dakota uh and and the deduct was was pretty bad so you know nobody was investing in that area so i had operated wells in that area in the past so i managed to pick up some more and, and currently we we operate 71 wells about over wow. 200 barrels a day net and it's been uh, it's been pretty pretty awesome here recently
1: well, congrats. I mean, I I love the story. And, uh, you know, it, it, it speaks to perseverance, because when oil was in the negatives there, and you couldn't leave your house, because it was COVID. Those were some dark times, man. Well, for those of us that have been in this space for a long time, it's like, do I really have a future in this? Or do I do what the smart guy does, like Fred, and put my hat on and say, maybe there's an opportunity here, right? And And that's sort of when I started thinking about this business, actually, because I knew that coming out of that, nobody was going to want to hire anybody full time for anything. That's right. Because it was so detrimental. Well, if, you, if you
2: managed to have a job, then yeah, you, did, you weren't able to, to, to get another one. And yeah. we all saw that we're riding on the wall, especially if you've been to a, to a couple of these cycles.
1: Exactly.
0: Yes. Yeah, interesting. When you were talking about getting orphaned wells, I, I had a, a friend of mine from high school, actually, who had a company where they were actually going to the state. This was in the 2014 time frame when oil was looking stupid again. They were going to the state and buying pa wells
2: and yep, just right. you
0: know drilling out the drilling out the cement and you know rehashing them. You know, if they find a well that was producing seven, eight barrels a day when it was pa you know, there's an opportunity to go pick that up and produce it. And you know, and, and ninety-nine dollars oh. a barrel or wherever we're sitting as we record this that could be very interesting just to go pick up a seven or eight barrel a day. Well, for a little bit, for sure.
2: Well, I think if you, I think if you talk to anybody, uh, especially from the operations side of, of any big companies, uh, or midsize companies, they'll tell you, we plugged the 30 barrel a day. Well, here we plugged a hundred barrel a day. Well there, I mean, this is obviously a long time ago because at that time it wasn't profitable. Right. So it's all about the timing and, and, and what the price is. And I mean, last year, uh, when they started that whole plug-in program, I, I saw a lot of 20, 30 barrel a day wells get plugged in North Dakota, but it just cost a lot of money to get them back up and started and you know you had to really believe that oil was coming back to be able to invest in those assets when you know all the all the industry saying no more oil and gas. Well,
1: I want to I be the dummy here for a second. You guys all have more experience in, in the field and, and in the classroom. So why is that? When a well gets shut in, what, what is so costly about bringing it back up and, and getting it to the same level of production that it was previously? Why, why is there such a cost?
0: Let's go through terminology real quick okay. uh, just to make sure. Cause so they're shut in, which basically means you've kinda, you're not producing for now. There's temporarily abandoned, which means it's been, you know, 30, 60, 90 days since it's, you know, been operational. There's plugged and abandoned, which means, okay, we've given up on this Dumb. well, we've dumped Dumb. some concrete in it. We pulled out all of the stuff we can pull out and it's just sitting there and is certified as maybe, you know, a good well integrity. And then there's one other, which is kind of a true orphaned well, which the owner is no, no longer can be found and it hasn't been properly plugged. So I think there's a, Various ones, but you know, like with plugged and abandoned going to capture those, you've got to drill out the concrete or Mm -hmm. cement that's been put in the hole. And you think, you know, what's down there because it's in all the reports, but you don't know, is there holes in the casing? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, remember we talked with, with Sarah uh, Stogner, I'm saying Stogner, but Clint or uh, Clay or uh, Yates keeps calling her Stogner. So I'm I'm, going to go to that, but. But you know they have uh, a salt blowout in these old abandoned wells in West Texas. So when you buy this plugged and abandoned well, you drill into it. You don't know what's down there. So you have to repair casing. You have to reopen the purse, run some acid to clean some things off. So it may cost you ten grand to pick up the well, but another hundred just to clean it up and, and bring it online.
3: Well, if there and you got
0: then you've got all put in the surface equipment. So yeah, I, I, if you if you find a and I, Fred, now that we're into your expertise, but there's orphaned. And, you know, if you can, if you can find someone who shut in a well recently and they're not going to go reopen and you can buy it, I think that's your best, the best opportunity. Well, I yeah, saw a lot of them in Nate,
2: right? I'm sure. Yeah.
0: So I think there's uh yeah. you know, the length of time that they're, depending on where you're operating, the length of time that the well is down, you've got the pressure equalizing in the reservoir. And you've got fine sand and things that are kind of resettling and moving around, and it changes the flow parameters. So, some of these wells that were shut in when oil dropped, when all these companies shut down their wells for 30 days, there's a bunch of them that just didn't come back. Mm simply didn't come back. So you got it. You could go spend a lot of money to bring them back, refrac them or something. I don't know.
1: See, I just I got to say, like, this is part of why I love oil and gas. It was always so interesting to me from a science perspective early on, just how unbelievable and complex it is at the well. Tim, you make it sound simple because you do a good job of distilling uh, complex subjects and make them make sense to the masses. But I mean, you know, when when you talk about drilling down two and a half miles and then going two miles in another direction to hit effectively a box to get oil. And then you've shut that in and then you need to go back in and, and do it again to get it back to life. Like to me, that's like on par with rocket science. You can't see what you're doing. You're counting on physics and science and other information that you have. You know, you're going to be wrong, but how wrong are you going to be? It's right. just so fascinating.
0: We've talked about it before. That's the thing that drew me to petroleum engineering was, you know, as a civil engineer or even, you know, mechanical engineer, or chemical engineer on the surface. Okay. What's happening right here? Well, I'll go over and put my hands on it and play with it. Okay. I see yeah. that the concrete can't handle that compressive strength. You know, I have no idea what happened under there. I, do, I just know the casing's broken. I've got a good guess, but we'll go fix it or try to fix it. And you know, go from there. We'll squeeze some sense cement down in it or something, you know, but you know, like, like you were saying, I know my answer is wrong. I just yeah. don't know how wrong.
1: Right. I love that. You know,
0: or I, I, hopefully it's not too wrong. <laughs> uh, you know, and then the price oil changes to 120 and suddenly my answer is really right.
1: Everybody looks really good right now. I'll tell you, there's Everybody a lot of
0: really smart.
1: There's a lot of geniuses right now that have built the greatest software ever, right? Yeah, you look really good when it's ninety dollars oil. Let me tell you. Let, <laughs> let's see what happens when it's thirty.
0: Let's come back to our guests here. So, all right, we got Trent and Fred on the show at the same time. Why are why are you both here on the show at the same time? What what do you have going on together? That uh, yeah, what, what's going on? Why why are we sitting here with the four panels? Who am I and why am I here?
3: Uh, we uh, yeah, that's another <laughs> reference. Then that one stockdale anyway Uh, yeah so i guess going back to fred's and my story so we heard the the spiel about me selling him drilling info back in the day well fast forward to uh nape summer nape last year august of last year i was uh consulting with a business at the time um kind of doing what jeremy what jeremy's doing but i was more on the I got deeper in the product launching side for, for startups. And I was working with one particular startup here in Oklahoma city. And, uh, I was hawking their product on the, on the floor at Nate. And, uh, I bumped into Fred and I hadn't seen you in what, five, six years, probably it had been a while.
2: At least, at least.
3: Yeah. And he was like, Hey man, I was looking for you. And I was like, really? That's, that's cool. And <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he just uh, tells everybody
0: that. Yeah. He just tells everybody that. Why? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> There's a guy I'm looking for. Um, and so he was like, I want to show you just straight into it. He goes, I want to show you something that I'm building to help me out in my my operations process, my deal evaluation process for finding new wells. And I was like, okay, cool. So he pulls out his phone and it's it's our log. Uh, digitization product right now is what he's showing me on his phone but he basically uploads a cropped image a png file of a well log into this app on his phone he clicks digitize and it turns it into data in seconds and i was like that's awesome how much you know how much time did it save you and we're kind of going through you know the gaps that he had in his evaluation he would have to throw so much money You know at geologists or at evaluation software you know enterprise software to make this happen and he just needed digits right to help him um evaluate the reserves and uh so we're going through all of that and he was like do you think this has legs and i was like yeah i i I haven't seen anything like this in the market and granted my boss or the guy i'm working he's standing right behind me and fred goes okay well you want to help me turn it into a software business (laughs) <laughs>
0: was like, was like, Probably not the place was, to talk about. That it. was that was, epic. Fred's, that was very,
3: epic. Fred's very direct. Let's go. Yep. You know. And I, I'm not that way. I'm very methodical. And so that's kind of so it became a nights and weekends thing, you know, towards I guess Q the end of Q3 and Q four last year. I helped him form the yeah. business. Um uh, come up with some pricing strategies, some go-to-market strategies. And this was all just you know, Fred and me talking, right? Enjoying talking to each other. And then uh, finally, when it got to a point where it was like, okay, Trent, are we going to do this or not? I was like, yeah, let's do this. And so around, I guess right after Thanksgiving is when I came on board uh, full time. And so I'm helping him co-found this business. Um, Our go-to-market is this log digitization tool, but it's really more than that, right? So, um, we're using the subsurface value that's generated from our tool to eventually create you know, we'd love to create a stable coin out of, you know, the value that we find out of each square foot below the subsurface. Hmm. And so that's kind of the grand vision of where we want to take this. Um, I like it. I'm throwing up on you guys. That, but
1: so, so, no, this is, so it's called A, is that right?
3: Scribe AI. Scribe,
1: scribe AI. AI. I like scribe. A in the French Scrib bit
3: is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We, scribe, we, so
1: scribe AI, do, do yeah. you have um, operators using it? Or are you guys sort of the first test case using it on your own stuff?
3: So Fred's the first test case using all his stuff. We do have some letters of intent right now um, with some, some companies um, that are going to pilot it for us. So we haven't done a full commercial release of the product yet. Um, so with the, with those companies, we're going to do a sixty ninety day pilot program, get more feedback, you know, get it in their hands because these companies are different from Fred's operations. You know, they're um, they're dealing with thousands and thousands of logs on a monthly basis, and so it's a different it's a different persona, right? But more yeah, but I
2: think we feel we feel sure. we feel pretty confident with the feedback that we got, so we yeah. decided to turn it into a internal product into a product for marketplace, Tim. And so we're gonna be opening up an office. Uh I'm gonna call it uh the, the scribe HQ and you guys are more than welcome. We wanna do the I think we I I wanna do a first with you guys. We'll show you our office uh but like back in the day what you mm-hmm. would do the the cribs and so we wanna be <laughs> the first one to be a startup crib out there and you guys can can hang out there. So it's uh gonna be pretty awesome. But I guess to just to talk a little bit more about the about the the plan and the vision and the software. So the biggest challenge that that uh, that we have as as a person that likes to do go out there and look for wells, Tim, is you know the evaluation process is usually you know you got to have the domain expertise, the uh, you got to have the background, the history. So one of the biggest challenges for me that I was always trying to uh, as a one or two man shop. You got to go through a bunch of wells. Got to go through a bunch of logs to figure out if there's any behind behind pipe pay, and that is very time consuming. And you know the current the current workflow and the current models that are out there were are are obviously great, but there wasn't one for a lot of the older older logs that you have to digitize by hand. So I I figured that we there has to be a better way to do that. And and you know everybody's always creating stuff with their phone. I'm like we want to want to create a software that you can take a picture of your log and it'll do a lot of back behind the scenes uh, on the back end uh do some correlations and some calculations to pick, try to help you rank or I call it a screening tool to, to figure out where you want to go and see if there's any merit to your to your to the opportunity so once we started develop it so it started off as a need and we saw a lot of potential value there where you know, especially if you had anticipated that there was going to be this upcycle, then I was like, "Okay, we're going to need to screen a lot of deals uh, fast," and that's happening right now. If, if you guys are paying attention to the A and D market, there's a lot of packages coming out to the market, and the quicker that everybody that that does the evaluations, you know, you take it takes time, it takes a bunch of money to be able to just to screen your deals. So you may you may spend a two or three weeks on your evaluation, and then you don't you won't even win. The, that project or the base. so you spend a lot of upfront money on that evaluation. So I figure that if we can automate that process and help you identify like your, your top 20% of pro- projects that you're interested in, then you can go ahead and have a, a competitive advantage by being ahead and reducing your cost so you get to evaluate more deals. So spend more money on the actual cost of the acquisition than on the evaluation process. So, uh, and so we turn that into uh, you know our, our workflow. So, uh, who
0: who is the primary target for for this type of tools? I mean, is it going to be the smaller guys? I mean, you're obviously not going you know, to go to Exxon and try and sell this thing. At least I hope you're not, because that, that's a that's a tall.
3: Trent, order, you
2: want to you want to you want to take that?
0: Yeah, it's so we're
3: working actually on several different models right now. I think you know Exxon is one of those, those models, right? Um, so we're one of the LOIs we're working on right now is with a national oil company. Um, and they want to use it to digitize. They have, you know, two plus million logs, you know, in their history. These are in, in boxes, you know, in buildings and they want to use us as their workhorse to turn that into a database. Right. So they have Mm. that extra security, um, um, with their data. So that, that is a model for us. I'd say primarily though, Tim, um, it's small operators like Fred, um, that just want, want to be able to compete. Right. And they want to be able to screen more than one deal at a time. Um, I've got this,
0: I've got this image of Fred walking around the Nate to all the different, people who have their prospects up take a picture walk away take a picture (laughs) walk away and he's got everything
2: Uh, i believe it believe it or not that's true man (laughs) (laughs) i I, think that i think that so i mean you guys when you guys go to nape i mean i love going to nape uh for sure because you learn a lot from a lot of different basins and then over the years you develop a baseline of knowledge that you're like, oh, well, that's why they're doing this or this is why they're doing that. But as you guys know, for the last 10 years, we were in this shale boom. And, you know, a lot of the vertical conventional wells, they didn't get a lot of love. And so they're just there's still a bunch of wells out there that that have a lot of potential value. But the yeah. challenge is you've got to spend a lot of money to do that. Buy the wells, take the time to identify. It. And even if you find the value, you got to have a capital budget for it. So there's there's a niche market there. And and to be honest, I was expecting that, you know, a lot of the independent, uh, you know, geologists or, or mom and pops would benefit from this because there is a lot of rasters out there that are not digitized yet because right. they do take a lot of time. You can pay for it, but it is expensive also or, you know, relative to what we can do. I mean, we can digitize uh, a raster, a full raster in a couple of seconds versus if, uh, at a high level. Versus, you know, the conventional way of doing it by hand, um, you it takes you, you know, if you've done it before, it's a pain in the ass, and it takes at a minimum thirty minutes, depending on how many feet you want to digitize. So yeah. the the biggest the the biggest thing that we're doing right now is qualifying that you know the since it's so new that a lot of people are like, yeah, we've seen this before, oh. but you know the technology has come so so far that you can do this type of analysis as as a screening tool. And I think we don't know where the market's going to go yet.
3: That, that's the thing. So, you know, as as we started the business and as Fred and I have both kind of gone independently in our own, because our networks are a little bit different, right? Which is good, which is an advantage for us. Um, yep. As I've gone out into my network, I thought that original, Fred's the persona, right? He, he had a problem, he solved it, right? But what more validation do you need than that? But as I started showing it to folks in my network, so folks that are, you know, working for, you know, private equity companies that are kind of commoditizing deal evaluation, you know, they're looking at, they're looking at deals constantly or, um, can we say company names on the show? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> but companies like EnergyNet, we haven't done anything with EnergyNet, but I look at them too as like, sure. this, this could be an interesting gap in their workflow, right? That that, that they might want to take sure. advantage of. And so, as we started talking to those people, it's opened us up to these other lines of, you know, revenue. Quite frankly, that that we weren't looking at. So, I think we're still trying to hone that in.
1: So. Obviously, a fortuitous time to launch this thing. As you guys are going, I actually do think I have a potential prospect for you that I know has real issues with digitization of logs and and deals with a lot of vertical wells in South Texas. Um, That's a a separate conversation. But uh, I see the application. Wait, wait, wait. No,
2: that can't be a separate conversation. We got to make this deal happen right now. (laughs) Yeah, no problem. So the company (laughs) is just kidding. kidding. I'm just kidding. No,
1: these guys, they're a great (laughs) operator in South Texas. The company's
2: There you go. (laughs) Oh, I know those guys. I know those guys. (laughs) It's
1: called sound off. Um, So this is for, for Fred. And then I got one for Trent. So, so Fred, what is it, man? You're, you're a wildcatter. You're, you're an operator yourself. You're also sort of on the tech side. Is is your path like continuing on both of these avenues? Like you're going to keep doing the wells. You're going to keep pushing the tech. Like, do do you see an emphasis on one side over the other, or you just kind of like this path you're on?
2: No, I, so I think for me, it's the same path. It's about creating value. It's about optimization. And you, a, a, as always, in order to be efficient, you have to use the latest and greatest tech and incorporate that into your workflow to be able to, you know, reduce your costs. And, you know, a, as far as being in, in the business for over 20 years now, you you learn that you have to operate within cash flow, And the only way to do that is to reduce your costs at every level. It doesn't matter if it's just an evaluation, and your product optimization, uh, all of your product handling facilities, and all that stuff—all of that needs to be incorporated into the model. And you need to be able to operate efficiently. And if you if you don't do that, then you can't operate, uh, you know, for an extended period of time. So it's—I I see the the two worlds merging, and I think everybody realizes that uh, there are challenges to incorporate that into the work models for different companies because they they've got their own stuff that they normally use, but for independence. And I think that's a market that's not been, that has not gotten, uh, received a lot of attention because uh, you know, the the money or the perceived notion that they don't spend on software or technology is there, but it's a big market. 50%, almost 50% of the production comes from those smaller companies. So yeah. if, if, and and it is, and it is tough, you know, you guys come from that, from the tech side. We We have seen that everybody has their, their current uh, way of evaluating stuff, and then it's hard to get them to adopt new stuff. So you have to create automated tools that help them along the evaluation process. And for me, that's just natural because we have to do that in order to be competitive, in yeah. order to 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 stay relevant, and and most importantly, you know, have a net net cash flow. Yep. Love it.
1: Yeah, no, it's merging. I mean, I thought you might go in that direction, but it is. I I, I see the, the future of oil and gas companies as being very, very tech and um, digital centric. And I think we're going in that direction. But right now, we're going to hit a real spike. Trent, this is my question for you, because you've been a loyal listener from the start. You've always made me feel good about doing this. Seriously, it's not always easy. We Tim, there were points probably when we're 30, 40 episodes in where it's like, oh, this is somewhat of a chore. Gotta get back on the podcast. Truly now, this is like my favorite hour of the week. Like I really, really enjoy this stuff. But I want to talk about some of your sales fails. You know, we like to ask some people who come on the show, what is the most embarrassing thing you've done being the sales guy in a boardroom or things that you've seen. Does anything come to mind from all your time selling stuff? It better, there better be a good one.
0: I can probably seed him with one or two, but go ahead. I want to hear yours. <laughs> I have several. Um,
3: so I was so glad you you planted that seed on your little template, Jeremy. Uh, so this, I wasn't the direct sales guy at this point when I was at Drilling Info, but I was, I was, I think you both kind of know my background with BI. I started out in sales and then I really, I started out as a user and then I started as a salesperson there. And then I just really always loved the product so much. You know, it was just something I, I loved and I loved working in it and working with clients on it. So they put me in a training role, which is probably a better fit for me. And so I was helping, uh, I was helping, a renewal um, of one of our big clients. This is when I lived in Dallas, and uh, at the same time, we were trying to secure this deal. A lot of times, you'd have to go in um, during these renewal meetings because they might have fifty users on Drilling Info, but there's only three like power users. But they used it constantly, and that you know they would they would distribute the data to those other you know hundreds of people in the in the company, right? And so even though they had only had three power users, but they had 50 named users, they were still getting a lot of value, but you had to kind of remind them of that, right? <laughs> so you had to try to bring all 50 folks in, in the room, and retrain them on the new stuff, get them excited again because the renewal was coming up. And uh, so I would go in and help with that process. Well, at the same time we had this big meeting and I was doing a big presentation we had just hired a a new person and I won't say any names uh, to come in as a trainer. And he was, he was training under me. I had never met him before. He was meeting me at this big meeting. So I walk into the the lobby, the reception area of this office and he's, he's standing on the other side. And so I, I meet him, we, you know, do our thing and, I go and check in with the receptionist and she was wearing a red dress and the guy, as she's about to come around and usher us to the conference room and, and Tim, Tim knows I'm really conservative. Like I, (laughs) I try and be tactful, buttoned buttoned (laughs) up, buttoned up. I try to be this guy as this lady comes around and the guy, he looked and sounded like Elvis. He goes, I really like that red on you. <laughs> As she walked. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god. What? <laughs>
0: oh my god." And so
3: that that's how this meeting started out. I'm already nervous. Tim knows I used to get nervous during these big meetings. And so we walk into the conference room. I'm giving my spiel and I'm, you know, of course, everyone's riveted by what I'm saying. And then uh, I was talking about something in the product and, uh, oh, the virtual scout. Remember the virtual scout? You'd set it up and it would email you anytime there was activity that hit your, your area. And so this guy who I just met, this Elvis guy, he stands up and he says, yeah, man, I use that on my daddy's wells. Anytime there's a new permit, new new activity shows up in my email. <laughs>
1: i love this guy
3: anyway it was that was probably the they renewed, so i guess he helped me but uh that was probably the most embarrassing (laughs) uh sales presentation training presentation i've
1: ever had this guy's an icebreaker man (laughs) your your own your own
0: guy uh completely distracting you every every way everywhere you can so well
3: borderline like a
1: shikyar man (laughs)
0: yeah. yeah
3: Borderline uh, harassing.
0: Jeremy, Jeremy, and I have worked with uh, an individual who is prone to throwing a comment out, very inappropriate comment out, to start a meeting or whatever, and it could throw you. Oh man, it definitely threw me.
3: You're,
1: you're in a <laughs> you're in a successful meeting. Things are going really well. All of a sudden, you hear, "God damn it!" What is ah my. Fantasy football running back is out this week, and I didn't get my waiver claim in in time. Oh, okay, got it. Good, you're in you. your own world. Thank you. Now back to this decline curve here on this Barnett well. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways, uh, we're gonna cut this here. I want to understand where can people find you guys, uh, Scribe AI, and all the great things you're doing.
3: Yeah, it's scribeai.com. That's s k r i b a i.com. Scribe, you know the regular scribe is already taken, so we got to trademark these things someday. Um, I'm Trent at ScribeAI.com or Trent S, sorry at ScribeAI.com and Fred.
2: Fred S at ScribeAI.com and and as we mentioned, we're we're going to be uh, moving to our HQ uh, 1504 Rothwell Street, Houston, Texas, which is uh uh. You guys can come out. We can hang out. Uh, we on a couch. News.
1: Yeah, that sounds I'm in, man. Over by, yeah, yeah. In. yeah. you don't have
2: to rent a hotel. You don't have to rent a hotel. You can save. It's all about reducing that LOE, man. You got to right. keep the net cash flow up there. So. Jeremy is lining up
0: several places where he can come in and stay for free in Houston. It's. Only I know. It annoys me
1: oh, when I have to be there now. Not even kidding. It annoys if me.
3: We're looking at, at futons right now.
1: Well, just, you <laughs> there know. There you go just get one that can accommodate a large male like myself anyways fellas we appreciate you trent i'm so glad you finally came on fred it's been a blast getting to know you and your, your kind of bubbly personality um exciting times for all of us you know i think we check in a little bit down the road to see how this company does uh and see you know where oil goes from here and how that impacts things
2: yeah, sure. great having thank you guys you.
1: on yeah thank, thank you see you Tim. fellas